Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about what's going on in your world. On today's show, we spotlight the oldest and largest Hispanic civil rights organization, LULAC, and its CEO, Mr. Brent Wilkes, who will talk about the 2018 agenda. I want to thank all the folks following us at Jesse Garcia Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information about upcoming guests, visit jessegarciashow.com. I hope to see you at this year's Creating Change Conference in Washington, D.C. I will be presenting a session on creating your own LGBTQ organization on Friday, January 26 at 7 p.m. at the Marriott Wardham Park Hotel near Woodley Park Metro Station. For more information about the conference, visit creatingchange.org. I hope you all had a fun Dia de los Reyes. I did, and I'm happy to report that I did not eat the baby Jesus. Thank you to Cecilia Sanchez and Yasmin Serrano Munoz for hosting me this past Saturday night. They provided delicious arroz con leche and abuelita chocolate, which was perfect for one of the coldest nights in DC. And that rosca, it cheated. There were at least three baby Jesuses in that rosca, which means three more fiestas. Ay, que raza, any excuse to party. And here's your weekly news update. Aldea News Media reported this past week about the latest shift in the hashtag MeToo movement that has called out sexual harassment and sexual violence against women. Writer Monica Marie Zoria spotlights the follow-up to MeToo hashtag Time's Up, and it encourages action and accountability. More than 300 women in Hollywood put the social media handle Time's Up on blast over the Christmas holiday. The women behind hashtag Time's Up have pledged to use their status and privilege to help women in the industry battle sexual harassment and sexual violence in the workplace, as well as gender parity. The Time's Up movement enlisted the help of powerful Latinas, including Zoe Saldana, Jennifer Lopez, Salma Hayek, Eva Longoria, America Ferreira, Penelope Cruz, and Aubrey Plaza. The group created a legal defense fund through a GoFundMe page that will be led by the National Women's Law Center. As of this Sunday, more than $15 million has been raised. Proceeds will help survivors of sexual harassment get access to attorneys. This fund will also support women in other job sectors, especially women in low-wage jobs such as farm laborers. Aldia writes how the Time's Up effort is returning the support given to it by more than 700,000 female farm workers who are members of Alianza Nacional de Campesinas. This national organization wrote a letter to the women of Hollywood back in November, expressing solidarity as more and more women came forward to share their stories about producer Harvey Weinstein. The women in the farm worker industry empathized and said that they, too, face sexual harassment and violence in their workplace. In a 2010 study conducted by the University of California, Santa Cruz on female farm workers, it showed that more than 60% of women interviewed said that they had experienced some form of sexual harassment. As a reminder, the hashtag MeToo, which helped give birth to hashtag Time's Up, was a campaign that was started in 2006 thanks to social activist and community organizer Tarana Burke, an African-American woman from Philadelphia. 
She created the phrase Me Too on her MySpace social network to promote empowerment through empathy among women of color who have experienced sexual abuse, particularly within underprivileged communities. Twelve years later, Burke's effort has exponentially met its goal and will change the lives of many women, especially those from vulnerable populations. Today's guest is the CEO of the oldest and largest Hispanic civil rights organization, the League of United Latin American Citizens, also known as LULAC, whose national office is based in Washington, D.C. But before we get to our guest, Mr. Brent Wilkes, a little bit about LULAC. LULAC started in 1929 to empower Latinos. It is a national membership organization made up of local councils across the United States, whose mission is to advance the economic condition, educational attainment, political influence, housing, health, and civil rights of the Hispanic population of the United States. American patriotism plays a big part in the organization, with members often reciting the pledge before meetings and the organization recognizing the work of U.S. military and our veterans. But Latinos from all backgrounds pay a membership fee to belong to a neighborhood council to advocate for the American dream and retain and respect their Latino culture. Members live in almost every state with big numbers found in Texas, California, Florida, Puerto Rico, Arizona, and New York. A LULAC Council operates as a 501c4 organization in the neighborhood that focuses on issues like social and economic justice. What's so cool about LULAC is that it gives Latinos who have decided to take on an active role in their community a civics lesson on how to debate and address the issues with local, state, and federal officials. LULAC helps many find their political voice. Members at the local level send their issues and part of their membership fee to the national office, which helps set the national agenda. Now let's hear about that agenda in 2018. Welcome to the show, Mr. Wilkes. I've known you for more than a decade and I want to say what an amazing ally and advocate you've been to the cause. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for having me on. It's been really an honor to have worked for LULAC for so long, but I'm especially proud that we have members like yourself, and I'm excited that you're um, starting this podcast series because I really enjoyed your radio show when you were in Dallas. So thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to our conversation. 2018 will be a pivotal year for Hispanics in the United States. What are some of the top concerns that LULAC will be addressing? Well, there's a lot of concerns, and sometimes it feels like you're drinking out of a fire hose with so many issues coming at us. Um, certainly, the DREAM Act is a major uh, focus of attention. Uh, I think we have a great chance of getting the DREAM Act passed um, around this January 19th timeframe. Um, but we'll see. It all depends on how reasonable um, uh, Republicans in Congress and President Trump are willing to be. Uh, they haven't shown a lot of uh, reasonableness lately, but perhaps... Um, there's a new day and there's a new opportunity to, to, to actually create a bipartisan bill that we can support. So we'll be working really hard to, to get that passed. But I think that um, there's a lot of issues that have been um, uh, of great concern to the Latino community, most of them going in the wrong direction for us, um, such as the environment and the rollback of the, uh, the clean water rule and the rollback of the clean power plan. And um, a lot of the gains that were made under President Obama in terms of strengthening the environment, uh, creating um, better uh, consumer protections, uh, protecting Americans from fraud by bad actors, 
um, uh, the um, uh, you know uh, behavior of corporations that uh, take advantage of people. Uh, all those things are starting to um, you know as much as Trump can to be repealed. And of course, the the tax bill that just passed is really a huge insult to working families across the country because. Uh, the vast majority of the tax benefits that um, are created by this new uh, tax bill are for the wealthiest Americans, and not just rich, but super rich. I mean, people mm-hmm. that have so much money that they really can't can't even see why it's necessary for them to get more. But um, uh, because there are the big campaign con- contributors to President Trump and the Republican Party, um, they're getting their payout uh, in the form of this tax bill. Um, you know, this hasn't actually started to take effect yet, but once it does, we think we're going to see uh, working families suffering and we're going to see a lot of the programs and uh, benefits that so many Americans count on are going to be impacted by the squeeze that this puts on our on our budget because it's $1.5 trillion of tax cuts that weren't paid for with any, um, you know, savings in, in the budget. And that's going to put a huge pressure um, to try and do something on cutting cutting uh, programs. And uh, many of the Republicans have already signaled that they want to go after Social Security, they want to go after Medicare, Medicaid, some of the big entitlements, because that's where the biggest uh, source of potential savings could be if, if you don't care about those programs. Programs that Latino families depend on. Absolutely. But you know what's interesting here? It's not just Latino families. So Latino families, of course, they depend on these programs. Latinos are the hardest working um, Americans. They also have the least benefits, the least amount of employer-provided health care, the least amount of employer-provided retirement plans. And so they depend on these government programs because that's basically the safety net that keeps a minimal level of care available to to, uh, working, working, hardworking, middle and lower income individuals. Um, but they're not the only ones, and I think that's the thing that it's hard to understand um, why um, so many um, middle and lower class um, white Americans are supporting these measures because they're clearly not benefiting from them. They're not going to get anything out of the tax cut, and they're definitely going to get their benefits cut. So why would they um, you know, line up to endorse and support um, this agenda? I, I'm hoping that n- now that it's actually been done, Perhaps they'll wake up and realize that uh, for all the rhetoric that Donald Trump has um, done on the campaign trail, the end result is basically the same that we've seen from Republican uh, administrations in the past, which is tax cuts for people who don't need them. What are you and LULAC doing to work with other organizations um, to to address these issues? Well, we're part of the... Uh, campaign uh, b- before the tax cut uh, was was a campaign called "Not One More Penny uh, for Tax Cuts for the Rich," and now that um, now that the uh, the bill has already passed, we'll be working to try to remind voters about uh, the tax cut, but also hoping to um, come back when hopefully Democrats have a majority in the in the uh, House and Senate to take another whack at this bill and, and kind of restore some fairness. Um, no, we're not necessarily against tax relief, but but it, but we want it to be fair, and we want all Americans to benefit equally. We don't want to see it so heavily weighted to the people that already have been reaping the benefits of the American economy and really don't need any more additional um, 
income as far as we can tell. So that's really, we want to, we want to come back at this. And um, so there's a campaign that we're part of to try to try to remind voters of the importance of this and then come back at it again. On the immigration front, you know, we'll be bringing um, buses from Dallas and other parts of the country to D.C. for the week of the 16th to the 19th. And our goal is to try to get um, as many folks in in the offices to, to make visits. Are you working with a Hispanic leadership agenda? Yes, we are. Yeah. And uh, the United We Dream, and there's a, um, a whole immigration coalition called Amigos that we're part of. And um, we're, we're working together with uh, the Senate um, Democratic leadership, and even some Republicans who have been helpful on this as well, Lindsey Graham and others, to try and help us, um, you know, Navigate. craft this bipartisan bill. We understand it has to be bipartisan. Democrats don't have control of any of the branches of government, so there's no way a Democratic bill is going to pass. But if we get a bipartisan bill, we can we can get this. Um, we think we can get this done, and they're leveraging this. You know, the on the bus, the sequester, lifting of the caps, um, the debt, the, the debt ceiling limit. All these things kind of come to a head on January the 19th, and so what we're hoping to do is to use the leverage that the Democrats do have um, to force these these uh, you know a bipartisan compromise on 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 these top issues. On the environment, it, you know, that's really. Um, I'm afraid going to take a change administration before we start making progress there. So we're basically playing defense. Uh, we're part of a number of lawsuits to try to force some of the Obama era changes to stay in place. Um, Clearfirst, for example, is uh, one of the the chemicals that's now being allowed back into uh, pesticides that are going to be sprayed on you know fields across the country, even when some of our folks are out there working in those fields. Wow. And we know that that causes um, you know. Um, uh, birth defects. We know it causes uh, uh, changes in people's um, respiratory uh, systems. And so it's very, very dangerous stuff. Um, and there's alternatives. So it doesn't make a lot of sense why the administration rolled that back, but they have. And so um, these kind of changes, I think, though, are probably because they're, they're being done administratively as opposed to being done by bills in Congress are going to require that we um, you know, get a change in the administration mm -hmm. um, because it's been really no dialogue at all with um, the Trump folks about um, environmental issues at all. So, we, so we've really been shut out of any kind of reasonable conversation to try to find a middle ground on some of this stuff, and it's all been one-sided. All these efforts are going to take. It's going to take people power. Yes. Uh, for the young Latino activists hearing this podcast, who, where should he? or she dedicate her energy, his or her energy, to? How can they get involved? I, I can tell you that, you know, our strategy at LULAC has been twofold, long before I got there, but especially, you know, since I've been part of the organization. And that's that um, you need to be active, engaged citizens um, in shaping our democracy, um, standing up for your rights and um, focusing attention on the issues. Um, Voting, of course, is is extremely important because that really, at the end of the day, is the major way that the the grassroots, uh, yeah. uh, you know, have have power. Even in between elections, it's the threat of our vote that really gives us the access to be able to try to make change. And so we have to we have to definitely vote. But I also think that um, you know it's not enough to to try to just focus on policy. And so 
What's great about LULAC has been the fact that so many of our councils also engaged in programs as well and helping the community themselves. So instead of waiting for the Department of Education to do something to address the dropout rate, for example, LULAC has got its own dropout rate programs and we do our own scholarship programs and we've created our own technology centers and we've got, of course, the LULAC National Educational Service Centers, which you're very familiar with. And so all of these things have helped a lot of um, Latinos, you know, just uh, starting to think about the numbers and, you know, we're serving over a million people a year in our technology centers, for example. And you're helping close the digital divide closing the digital and divide, yeah. graduation rates. Exactly. And so I think I think that um, it's important um, if, for a young person to b do both only because sometimes policy can be a long and tough road to get success on. And I'll go back to immigration as an example. You know, when I started LULAC 30 years ago, we had just passed the 86 um, immigration bill. But to be honest with you, since that time, we really have not had a major piece of immigration legislation that's been positive. Yes, there was the DACA program and DAPA for a little while. Um, you know, there's been a few tweaks here and there, but by and large, you know, it's been mostly negative, mostly enforcement, mostly uh, restrictions as opposed to benefits. And um, so, you know, if your entire time all you were doing was immigration policy and you were pro-immigrant, pro you'd feel kind of, um, you know, that it's been a difficult, it'd be hard to point to things to say that here's where our success has been. Obviously, you know, we've played a lot of defensive efforts and we've, we've, um, we've been close on a some, some big pieces of immigration reform in the past, but never got it over the finish line. So, so my advice is to do both, to stay engaged, be, participate in policy, you know, get get in, get involved. That's what it, that's what it means to be a citizen, um, and, or or even a resident of the United States. But don't forget about helping people directly yourself, because that can be very fulfilling, and the the results are immediate, as opposed to kind of the longer game that you play with the policy. During your tenure with LULAC, you've come across a lot of national leaders, uh, that Latino leaders, who come to LULAC spoke at our conventions, talked about policy with your with your your leaders. Over your you know, your tenure, which leaders do you think are ready for the big stage, running for president? Latino leaders that you've worked with? Well I'll tell you that it's been an amazing experience for me and I have met some amazing people. And I think that's probably the most fulfilling part of the job is just having had the opportunity to work with some uh, truly great Americans, but also, um, you know, in many cases, LULAC kind of helped raise them. You know, mm -hmm. they, they benefited from our programs or they got a scholarship program or they, you know, they participated in the leadership development work that we do or, or perhaps one of our sister organizations. So we know that what we're doing is working. Uh, we are creating this cadre of leadership um, and truly some very impressive folks and especially our young leaders, you know, um, I'd be honored to have so many of them as my own children. They're just so impressive and eloquent and committed and um, hardworking. Um, so it's kind of hard to, you know, pinpoint okay. here's 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 one or here's another that I think are are, um, but are some potential. Of our but but I would Congress people. Yeah, I, I would you know I, I would point to this. You? I, I you know I, I really like the Castro brothers. I thought that um, they were. Um, 
they, they, they represent a, a bit of an evolution um, in Latino advocacy, and there's probably been several stages of this, and we've lived through, through them all at LULAC. But, but you know, when, when I started um, with LULAC uh, 30 years ago, there was more of that um, Chicano movement and the kind of the civil rights era of style of leadership, which ha- which has its style, and you know, they brought us they brought us really far. So I'm not going to knock them at all. But I think there's a difference between that type of activist and the Castros, which are doing something a bit different, which is they're both strong on policy and very progressive, but at the same time they're they're a bit more um, engaged in the establishment, whereas so many of that civil rights era leadership felt a little bit um, apart from it and didn't feel like they were welcome at the DNC, for example, or you know, you know, had had the type of um, entree with the White House that I think, if you look at, at at where the Castros have already been in their young careers, it's pretty impressive to see the fact that they got to speak at the Democratic National Convention, for example. And They're able to operate in both worlds. Yes, yes. So that's Successful. a new kind of leadership. I think that's probably um, you know I've been waiting for this to happen for a long time, and it seems like one of those slow motion things, but. But you, you get the sense that it's, uh, Latinos were, gosh, what, 7 8% of the U.S. population when they started. Now they're 18% of the U.S. population. It's huge demographic changes. It's going to keep growing. And I think that what you can expect, at uh, there's, a, there's kind of a turning point where instead of just being worried about Latino issues, mm-hmm. the new generation of Latino leaders are starting to embrace the entirety of the issues that uh, Americans have to deal with. During your tenure, tremendous support was given to the LGBT community, supporting measures like anti-hate crimes federal legislation, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, support for marriage equality, support for a fully inclusive Employee Non-Discrimination Act that protects transgender workers. You supported these before they became law in the United States, and some bills like ENDA still fighting to become law. Why was it important for LULAC to side early on with the gay community? For me, it was about civil rights is, is civil rights. And, you know, if we demand civil rights for the Latino community, then certainly we underst- can understand why the LGTB community should have those same rights and really were had, had fewer rights than anybody, you know, um, at the time that we started working on this. Um, there's been a lot of progress, still, still a long way to go. Um, so we just thought of, thought of it as being consistent. But I think the other big thing about LULAC that's kind of unique is we are a membership-based organization. So is the NAACP. And so when you're talking about um, Latino LGTB members of LULAC, they really kind of led the way. And, and, and so now we're talking about members saying, you know, we'd like to see changes in the way the organization approaches these issues. And so to us, that that's a, um, a big difference um, when a member comes and asks us to defend their interests um, and so I think that's really where it all came from is, is just this, this sense that our members were asking for our help on an issue that was important to them. And so we had to step up and, and deliver that. And, you know, the other thing for me personally was that we had so many um, uh, team members here at LULAC, members of the staff that are LGTB as well and have kind of in their own right led, led been, been part of the Latino LGTB movement. And so that means a lot to us as well. I'm just you know, we got to support our, our own team. So it's been it's been great to be able to, to step up. You know, we, we've we tried to be as helpful and as taken possible. And taking a stake on these positions before the actual administration or Congress, 
worked, you know, yeah. got to that point. You guys were there before, which says a lot. Yeah, we were we were pushing uh, pushing early, and and you know I think we're going to continue to push push hard, and you know uh, just about every important uh, you know there's a lot of work left. You know yes. we saw that in Houston, and we're going to have to keep pushing before we can before we can uh, you know claim claim uh, true equality. Tell us about the upcoming LULAC National Convention taking place on July 17th through the 21st in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, it's going to be um, you know, a historic convention for us. We're approaching our 89th year, so it's a real big deal. We've got um, it, you know, members coming from across the country, and we'll be you know, meeting at a time that's critical to the future direction of the Latino community. Um, We've held, had to endure a year of Donald Trump. It'll be a year and a half at that point, and um, but we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and the opportunity to do something about it. And I think that's been so frustrating is that initially, you know, there wasn't a lot we could do to throw up roadblocks and try to prevent the Trump agenda from being enacted. We did have a lot of success um, uh, in many ways, but we were still losing bit by bit. You know, the dreamers lost. Uh, the DACA, the DACA status, or it'll be, you know, phased out on on March 15th. There's a lot more enforcement going around around the country. Um, the environmental issues are being rolled back, and we've started to see the effects of that. You know, the CFPB is no longer going to be defending the interests of consumers against the big banks and others that are trying to uh, take advantage of them. And even even when you've got Wells Fargo out there, you know, creating f- fake fake accounts of all things. I mean, you, it, it doesn't get too much worse than that, actually creating a fake credit card in your own customer's name to to, to try to claim benefits. Um, as So so there's there's a there's a lot that, that um, we're going to have to deal with. A lot of policy that's going to be discussed. And it's this year, it's going to be in Phoenix? It's going to be in Phoenix. We have a lot of great members in Phoenix. Um, you know, the last time we were in Phoenix was 2001, so under the presidency of Rick Dovlina, so it's been a long time since we've come back. Um, we're we're going to be at the convention center downtown, which is um, beautiful. You know, it's uh, one of the largest in the country, and it just we're the part we're going to be in is all renovated and everything, so it's going to be a great setting. Um, and then we'll have the uh, the two big hotels right next to it, almost attached to it, that you can just walk back and forth and participate. But it's going to be really exciting this year. We're going to have a lot of great entertainment. Um, we're definitely going to lift up all these issues. We're going to be talking about the path forward for the community, and then we're going to be talking a lot about making sure that we really stay engaged, especially as the elections come up for the midterms, and that there's um, a lot of active activism. So I think, you know, the first year was we did 60 town halls around the country to try to reassure um, the community that we weren't going away, that we were here to defend their rights. Now it's time to get up and uh, to do something about um, what the what we've had to experience over the last year. And I think that's what um, what this convention is going to be. It's a call to action. You've spent almost all your professional life working for LULAC, and this is going to be your last year with the organization. What do you recommend for the next leader that takes your position? What do they need to bring to the table? That's a great question. I, you know, I think that um, probably the best asset that I've had is um, – always focusing on the mission of the organization and to me um, you know it, it's easy in Washington especially but any national leader has to there's all kinds of temptations to kind of stray from what the the focus of the organization should be but for me if you always go back to that the founding principles of the league 
the focus on educational opportunity, on employment opportunities, housing, civil rights, health, you know, immigration issues. Uh, we know that we're really about improving the quality of life for Latino Americans. And as long as that's the main focus, I think a lot of the, um, uh, the answers come, come easily because that's always the question I ask the staff. How are, we, how are we impacting? How are we moving the ball forward? How are we helping people? How can we be better at it? How can we um, you know, use the resources that are at our disposal to make a bigger impact than we've had before? And, and, and you know, I think what they need to stay away from are some more of the kind of internal politics of the organization, um, which as exciting as that can get, can sometimes <laughs> distract you from the mission because you're not really focusing on advancing the agenda. You start, you start to get into, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, just personality issues with people disagreeing with each other and vying for leadership positions and things like that, which is, which in itself, of itself isn't bad. It's a healthy exercise. I mean, that's what, that's what democracy. we do for our, our <laughs> democracy, right? Yeah. But at the same time, um, that's not the be-all and end-all. That's just a means to an end. The, the end goal here is improving the quality of life for Latinos. That's what we're all about, and we have to stay focused on that. I think that, you know, what I hope that I've left behind is the um, legacy of really effective programs that make a difference and help people that, you know, we've managed our financial affairs really well. You know, I've not had one scandal of any type, you know, <laughs> while I've been here because I'm not interested in, you know, per personal aggrandizement. It's all been about trying to make a difference. Well, thank you so much, Brent, for giving us your time. I want to thank you so much for your work on social and economic justice for Latinos. And I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Well, I'm I'm really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. I'm looking forward to the the next stage in my career. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to be with Lulac after July, but I'll be uh, working on behalf of some of the same issues. Especially, I see technology as the the next big frontier um, for our, our entire country and the world in general. Um, especially the issue of access to technology and the education opportunities. The, the ability to get the jobs in the tech sector. Uh, we know that the tech sector is gradually taking over everything, right? And so we've got to figure out how to make sure our folks are getting those positions. And so I'll still be working very closely with LULAC. I'll be part of the local DC council. And, you know, we'll always be here to, to lend my support and advice and um, friendship uh, with all of our members. But in the future, you know, I'm looking forward to um, trying to do as much as I can to really impact this next big wave and make it as accessible as possible because I'm worried, to be honest with you, that because of the lack of representation of Latinos and African Americans and other diverse communities in the tech sector, that this could be every bit as big a barrier as the kind of historic civil rights barriers that we've had to face in the past. So I want to go work on that and that's what I'll probably spend the last 15 years of my career doing. Thank you and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Jesse.